Hello, everyone. Welcome to Peace of Authenticity Podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Jordan. And we are the Andersons. In 2020, the Lord really challenged us on starting our own podcast. And so we invite you to join us on the journey of following Jesus every day. So let's grow together and learn together. What's up, everybody? Hey there. Welcome back. Welcome back. I hope that you guys enjoyed last podcast in Getty where we kind of opened it up. We're going to be right back in the same spot today. Um, We're going to be posting more videos along with this Mm -hmm. and pictures and stuff like that so you can really grasp the beauty that is in Getty. Mm -hmm. Like... Well, I'm personally glad we're staying here another week because it was my favorite place. So I think it deserves at least two episodes. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Um, and also something, I know that we talked about it, the the waterfall that goes year round. Mm-hmm. But like, I want to accentuate that because we're actually going to show you videos because we're going a little bit more into some aspects of that part of Engedi. Yeah, we're going to put some videos in right beautiful now. beautiful right now. As yeah. you're watching the video. <laughs> yeah. Right now, as you're going to be seeing some waterfalls, maybe some scanning videos. I took a couple yeah. of those. Maybe a few pictures of Jordan and I in front of that waterfall. Maybe you should be talking like those people in yeah. the nature channels. You know what I mean? As it shows beautiful nature. Yeah. As you can see. As you can see in the midst of the desert of Judea. Oh, you said that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so anyways, um, there's your video. Yeah, so we're back at En Gedi, but here's the deal. Last week we were talking about David, talking about Saul. We're going to talk a little bit about David today, but we want to talk about Jesus because honestly, for those Jesus. of us that are followers of Jesus, that's all we should care about anyway. Honestly. Um, so here's how we're going to tie in En Gedi to the greatest love story ever told, and that's God so loved the yes. world that he gave his only son for you and for me. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to start in Psalms 23, or Psalm 63. Maybe we were supposed to go. No, we already did that. Thing. We already did Psalms 23. <laughs> All right, so in Psalm 63, what's cool about this, if you turn in your Bibles right now and you look at Psalm 63, it'll literally say at the very top, before you start reading any of it, it'll say a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Listen, when the Bible says that, they're talking about En Gedi. Mm-hmm. They're talking about when he was hiding at En Gedi in the midst of the wilderness. And it's so cool. Now that we all know this, anytime you see that in your Bible and it talks about David being in the wilderness of Judah, you can go, ooh, En Gedi. Mm-hmm. I learned that on Peace of Authenticity. Exactly. Awesome. And it is literally smack dab in the middle of the Judean desert wilderness. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy. Well, it's and amazing. I mean, as we said last week, it was almost like we, we spent three days in the desert mm-hmm. going to all these cool places and then boom, we hit En Gedi and literally it was an oasis. And so... As David's writing, you can literally tell that he's surrounded by desert everywhere, but God has perfectly put him in a position where at En Gedi, he has all that he needs. Mm-hmm. And so in Psalm 63, it literally starts out saying, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is not having to use his imagination as he's writing this because 
outside of this one waterfall that's coming down at Engedi, all he has to do is climb up on like to one of the tallest peaks of Engedi, and everywhere he spins to a 360 view, all he's seeing is is dry and weary land where there is no water. Mm-hmm. But God has put him in a place where he's strategically there and he has water from that waterfall that you guys saw just a second ago. Mm-hmm. How much of this do you want to read? Um, it's just so good. I it feel is. like it's only 11 verses. I, I feel know. like we should just go through it the says, whole thing. Okay, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with my joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings. Oh, remember that from last week? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the shadow of his wings. I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We've also talked about We've the also talked about the right, the right hand. hand. <laughs> yeah. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him. I just clicked and it switched to the other verse. Okay. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Wow. I love that too in verse six when he says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He's having Mm. to watch throughout the night to see if Saul's coming. Yeah, I mean, so at being in the military, right? Whenever I was in the Navy, when you had duty, if your duty section was on duty, you would have to stand a watch all through the night. They were usually broken down into four-hour segments, mm-hmm. um, but you had to stand a watch. You had to keep an eye out on all of our equipment on all and everything like that. So he's, he's clearly in military language right there by saying but him and his men were on rotations to keep a watch because they had to be watching at all times because like we learned last week, Saul found out that David was at Angeti and marched down there with thousands of men. Mm-hmm. I would venture to say that because David was hiding at Angeti when they came with thousands of men, he didn't have the men to match that. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine the rotation of watch was happening all the time. And maybe even once a day, David was having to stand watch. That's why he says, I, I remember you. In, in the in the mm-hmm. night watch. And he was thinking the, yeah. on the Lord instead of the possible threat, which of course he had his eyes open, right? And he was watching like what he said, but he was also focusing on the Lord and, and praising the Lord and probably writing a lot of these too. And I just think that's yeah. such a cool picture. I, I love this because we're, we're going to move forward on to, I know we said we were going to talk about Jesus and we dove in a little bit to David, but here's the thing. I love the imagery that the Bible uses. Whenever people talk to the Lord, they talk to God, they always use thirst. Mm-hmm. Like, and, the, and they, they explain dry, thirsty, weary, all these things mm-hmm. that like water does for us to keep us in a, in a good spot. Like, you know, when you get dehydrated, you're a pretty miserable human being. You can get headaches, you can get fatigued, you can get... Uh, you know, lethargic, all yeah. these things happen. And so I love the imagery here that David is is using because he's basically saying, 
God is my nourishment. God is my water. Mm-hmm. You know, like God is is going to because we can we can survive without food for a long time, but you can't survive a long time without water. No. Right. And so David is is showing us this. And so then this ties in there, that description of my soul thirsts for you, right? Reminds me of John chapter four. And that's the first place that we're going to go. Because uh, this is the first time in scripture that Jesus is referring to himself as water, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're sitting here, uh, we, many of you probably already know this story, but it's, it's literally Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And um, he, he meets this lady, right? I'm going to just kind of set this story up just a little bit mm-hmm. because Jesus goes to the well at midday. You know, normally everybody gets their water in the morning and they're out before the heat of the day. So the only time that this this woman that comes up there, she's there midday. So that teaches us that she's kind of an outcast mm-hmm. in the community. And she's coming to the well when no one else is supposed to be there. And so Jesus intersects her by himself, right? He sends the disciples off and Jesus runs into her. And Jesus begins to tell her things about herself that she's like, I've never met you before. How do you know all this stuff? Mm -hmm. But Jesus is using the segue of being at the well where she's coming to get water. Jesus uses that as a a teaching moment. So John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus is talking to her in this moment. And he says, anyone who drinks this water, talking about the well water where she was dropping the bucket down in to get to get water. Anybody who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them and gives them eternal life. So we already know, you go down to the next verse in verse 15, and this lady is going, I want this water. Like whatever yeah. you're talking about, I want to never be thirsty again. Mm-hmm. And so we see this connection of uh, of Jesus being being water right in the midst of a dry place and we see in Psalm 63 that this is exactly what David is is referring to when he's like he's hiding and he's saying my soul thirsts my soul longs so this is the first moment that we actually see Jesus is going like saying the water that I have to give it's going to quench your thirst and you're never going to be thirsty again mm-hmm. but there's a perfectly good explanation for why Jesus is referring to himself as the water and so all we have to do is fast forward a few chapters into chapter seven right and we mm-hmm. hit the fest the feast of booths go which, ahead take which that which is uh the feast of sukkot um or and it even says the festival of tabernacles yes so these are all different names for the same but festival. the same festival there were three main festivals back in deuteronomy um probably even a little bit in exodus whenever the lord gave moses the law and so this is one of the main ones, okay? And I love this one. Um, it's just, it's so cool because it's the end of the harvesting season. And so they have harvested all of their fruits, all of their everything, wheat, all the good stuff, right? And they, um, this is the time, they have a time of rest, but they're about to start again with the new agricultural year. And so they're thanking the Lord, they're resting and they're believing in rain, is, is pretty much what's what's gone down and they're kind of just plentiful in all this harvest that they've just gotten and um so also it is a reminder of the lord taking care of them 
um, when they were the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. The Lord gave them manna every single day. I mean, they always had water. They always, you know, had, they were being led by um, the Lord, you know. And so it's it's always a reminder of what he has done, what he will do, and what he's doing right now. Hmm. And so um, it's just so awesome because during this time to remember the Exodus and to remember um, them as Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years, they actually stay in booths or tents or little tabernacles. So that is why it's the Festival of Booths or the uh, Festival of Tabernacles or Sukkots, which means booths. And um, so that's really cool. So they're camping pretty much. Like, yeah, they're camping. And a lot of them just camp on the roofs of their home because their home was like a flat roof home, yeah. you know. And so you can just they're envision outdoorsy. that. outdoorsy. So if you guys like to camp, I'm not, I'm not talking about RV camping, like actual yeah. tent pitching camping. That's that's what this festival was. And I also it. say that the Israelites, they knew how to party, right? So oh, yeah. when a festival would come into town... It, you were going to be partying for seven days. Mm-hmm. Like the feast lasted seven days. So everyone would come to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? And in this time right here in John chapter 7, all the Jewish people that were within traveling distance would all come to Jerusalem and they would pitch tents and they would stay there for seven full days. Mm-hmm. So imagine all the businesses and all the people there in Jerusalem you'd have people living through the streets and like on the outskirts of town there would be tents all over the place it was crazy yes and something that in Jesus's time something that they did that was that was cool because of course you know we know what it says in the Bible we know what Moses and the law said but throughout the years um, the Jewish people and the rabbis and things like that would start new like traditions throughout some of the festivals yeah. and so something during Jesus's day um, they something they added to embellish the feast of Sukkot okay it, they would prepare a thing called lulav which is like you just tie together the branches of palm trees willow trees and myrtle trees and you tie those together and you wave them because it sounds like rain okay because big thing like I said earlier is you're praying for rain and so that's just one of the things they did but there were three main daily things rituals that they did all of those seven days of Sukkot okay the festival of Sukkot So the first one is before dawn each day, the priest would go to the east gate of the temple, okay, as the sun was rising. And so what's kind of cool is the east gate, you can't even use it now. It's like totally shut down. But I could just envision them. Oh, yeah, they cemented it shut. Yeah, we could post a picture here too so you could see the east gate. But they would go towards the east gate while the sun was rising, turn their back on the sun, and say this. I want to get it to you word for word. They would say, our fathers, when, uh, when they were in the place... Nope, sorry. Our fathers, when they were in this place, turned their faces towards the east, and they would worship the sun towards the east. But as for us, our eyes are turned towards the Lord. So they would actually be turned, if you know how the temple mount, how the temple is set up, they would be turned away from the sun towards the temple. The temple. Yeah. And that's when they would say this. So that was the first daily thing. So every single morning before the sun would rise, you would have the priest go over to the east side, turn to the west, and say this prayer. So the next thing is every single night they would have four huge menorahs. I'm sure you've seen them if you know any kind of thing about Hanukkah, right? That's what a menorah is. It's the, how many points is it? I don't know. Is it 12? Maybe. (laughs) 
But anyways, they would have four large menorahs up on the Temple Mount. And when I say large, I mean like it lit up the whole thing. These these menorahs, the candles, as you say, were torches. So it was several torches on these stands, okay? And so they would go, um, there would be a procession. The people would dance and play all these instruments, okay? And then they would actually chant the Psalms of Ascent, which is Psalms 120 all the way through Psalms 134. And the Levites would do that as they, as they were leading up to the steps. So there was a court for the Israelites and the court for the women. So there were different areas on the Temple Mount, right? So they would be going up these steps. Every single step, they would say Psalms 120. The next step, they would say Psalms 121. And as on so forth, mm. while people are dancing, singing, I mean, the light is illuminating. Other people are holding torches for more light. I mean, it's beautiful yeah. to envision that. And I'm sure the music sounded beautiful. It just gives me chill bumps thinking about it. But anyways, um, it's cool too because I've been studying Psalms and that was their hymn book, right? So whenever you say they chanted these, they were singing them like hymns yeah. like we do in our churches. Okay, so the third one is the one we really want to dig into because it's so cool. So like I said, these things are throughout the day. So this is the third thing that happened every single day. It's called the rite of the water libation, okay? So the first morning of Sukkot, a a procession, I'm messing up the words, of priests would go all the way to the Pool of Siloam, which is, what would you say, maybe not half a mile, maybe? I don't know. It was a journey. Yeah, it was quite a way because we were there. We went to the, which we could put right here because I think we have a picture of it. Yeah, maybe so. (laughs) So the Pool of Siloam, right, they would fill up this huge gold, golden container, yeah, of water that was sufficient for the week, okay? Or for, yeah, throughout the seven days, okay? And so then they would bring it back. And I mean, there was the shofar, there was dancing, there was music yet again. And then the great Hallel was recited, which is Psalms 113 to Psalms 118. So yet again, I love it. Okay. And then the priest would pour out the contents of two silver bowls. Okay. One held water, the other one held wine. And this was an act of, they would uh, pour this around the altar. This was an expression of dependence upon God okay, to pour out his blessing of rain upon the earth. Mm. So I I would think that the wine was grapes harvest, right? And then the water was who God was, right? Living water. Um, And so this takes you to what Aubrey was saying, John chapter seven of the significance of why Jesus did what he did. Is there anything else I should say before we go into that? Yeah, no, I just want to say, so John chapter seven, starting in verse one, lets you know that that the feast the feast of booths the, the festival of tabernacles whatever you want to call it um jesus and his disciples are coming to town for that yes and yes. and so john chapter 7 the whole thing the whole way through is a description of of what was going on during this week that, yes. that this was happening i forgot to talk about the biggest thing what like the biggest thing of that water libation i forgot about that but yeah. Do you want me to, to no, no, it's okay. I was just saying that um, if you you go through study this on your own time, but but Jesus was going through all through chapter seven. John tells us that Jesus was going into town. There's one portion where it says it was the middle of the festival, so the three yeah. and a half fourth day somewhere mm-hmm. along there. Jesus was going up to the temple and he was trying to express to the people that were there. Now this is a huge festival, so there's people coming. I'm. I'm telling you, there's there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are that are pouring into Jerusalem mm-hmm. for this. So it's a perfect time for Jesus to come up 
and you know work some miracles and and you know try to convince the world that he is the son of god and that's exactly what john tries to tell us that he's doing throughout this period and and he tells us specifically that jesus comes in and and if you know the story of jesus in the new testament you know that jesus didn't walk around constantly saying i'm the son of god yeah you he should listen very to me strategic he, and- he was very strategic in everything that he said even with the disciples right mm-hmm. he asked peter Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, who is it that men say that I am? Mm-hmm. And then Peter answers and he goes, now tell me who you say that I am. Jesus was on, he was always in this stance where he was trying to get people to say in faith and come to the realization on their own mm-hmm. that he was the son of God. He was not marching around going, you should listen to me. I'm, I'm the son of God. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to work all these miracles so you can see. It wasn't about that. So in John chapter 7, when Jesus is coming forward and he's saying these things that nothing that I do is what I want to do. It's because of the one who sent me. Jesus is strategically, he says this two or three times in this one chapter of John Mm -hmm. where he's having different conversations, where he's trying to tell people, God has sent me, my father has sent me, and nobody is paying any attention to what he's trying to build up to. Yeah. And so then finally on the very last day, right? Mm-hmm. On the very last thing that the Pharisees are trying to do, they pour Yes. So this is the biggest climax of the day. This is the water libation again, okay? So this is the last day. It is the great day that talks about in John 7. But anyways, so the priests, what they do is they circle the altar seven times and then they pour out the water, okay, with great pomp and great ceremony, okay? So this is like a big deal. And everyone is praying and yelling. They're saying Roshana, which is translated save now. So they are praying for rain. Save us now, Lord, bring us the rain. Because then if it didn't rain, those wells we were talking about, cisterns, they don't fill up. People don't get water. People die. Crops don't grow. I mean, you have to have rain to live. Absolutely. And so they're praying and shouting out to God, please let it rain. Save us now. Save us now. So that is what's happening. Yeah. So, okay. So as you can imagine, we we live in Southwest Oklahoma. So um, for anybody that is tuning into the podcast from Altus or anywhere near us whatsoever, we all know what it's like to have to pray for rain. Yeah. It, it's super dry here, and, and maybe you live in a dry place too. I don't know wherever you're listening to this at, but you know when when your area needs rain, especially if you're in the farming community mm-hmm. or anything like that. So you can imagine in in Jerusalem right now, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are gathering. This is a very intense, emotional moment because they are literally praying and begging God. They are begging Jehovah, Mm -hmm. right, to provide the much needed rain so that their crops will grow, so that their economy can thrive. So it it all depends on the rain. And during this moment, while everyone's crying out for rain, they have those lulavs. Okay, so they're bundles of those branches that makes the sound of rain. So they're shaking it Mm -hmm. with their right hand. Okay, and in their left hand, they're holding actually a certain fruit, showing that the Lord has done this, and we're yeah. asking you to do this. And um, so that is what's going on. Sounds like rain. Everyone's wailing, praying. Yeah, yeah. So here's the other fun fact. When these priests walk down to the pool to get this water, fresh water flows into uh-huh. the pool. Uh, yeah, spring. The, it's a spring, yeah, that flows in there. So anything ritualistic 
in um, in the Jewish culture, it has to be living water, right? Running, running mm-hmm. water, like so flowing. David's at En Gedi. There's a perennial waterfall there. Living it's constantly water. flowing. It's living. It's moving. It's not like a pond. Yeah. Right. Or, or the Dead Sea right down the. Yeah. Or a Dead Sea <laughs> that's like right down the way. It's it's fresh water flowing in like rivers, streams. It, it, it's moving. It has life. So therefore, it's called living water. So as they're doing this, they're building up this ritual. The the Pharisees are having to walk all the way down to that pool to get the water because that's where the living water is. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to go get the living water, fill up these pitchers or whatever that they have, and then they're walking all the way back up so that they can pour these pitchers mm-hmm. on the altar. It's a it's a big deal. Um, I, w- I would imagine it in you know in America we do uh, a lot of stuff like on the Fourth of July everybody gets real patriotic yeah. and, and different things like that. But this is even bigger than anything that we can comprehend mm-hmm. because people are literally stopping. If you don't live in Jerusalem, actually even if you live in Jerusalem, everyone is shutting down shop for mm-hmm. seven days. And, and it's all a giant festival. I can't even imagine what this would look like in real life, but it's a big deal. But the main key right here that I want you to understand is the water has to be living, mm-hmm. right? We already know that David was asking for, he his soul was thirsty. He needed living water, right? Like in a, he had it in a physical sense at En Gedi, but he was asking for it in a spiritual sense, living water. It's moving, it's active, it's going. And so that's what they're doing in the natural. So we move down in John chapter seven to, what is it? Uh, 37. Um, yeah, to verse 37. This is a huge ritualistic thing happening Um, There's a lot of drama already going on in John chapter 7. I want to encourage you to go and read it. Jesus was trying to tell people who he was and who was sending him. They even, that's another instance where they try to tell him that he is from the devil um, and everything like that. So there's there's a lot of drama that goes on. But what we want to point out happens right here in starting in verse 37. And it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival. So this is day seven. This is the pouring seven times yeah, the this water is the, around the altar. The pouring the, around, the, the whole praying. shebang. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those will flow from within them. Oh, wait, wait, I just read that same line again. From whom those believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given and Jesus, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, so we got this second time, right? In the one-on-one conversation with the, lady at, with the woman at the well, mm-hmm. he says, the water that I give, you'll mm-hmm. never thirst again. And we have yet again Jesus comparing himself to water living water living water mm-hmm. right so on the great uh, he waited till the last day and he stood in a loud voice and he says whoever's thirsty come to me and drink everything that we read in scripture is there on purpose and for a purpose so jesus if he if jesus said something twice you better listen mm-hmm. to what he's trying to say because he's letting out world changing information jesus said a lot of things but if he said it more than once, 
there's a reason why he said it more than once. Mm -hmm. And there's something that he's trying to get the people to understand as he's mentioning this. And so as we like to do, right, on the podcast is Jesus performed miracles and he did all these things. But the most important thing was Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah. So if you want to really prove and believe who Jesus is and he is who he says he is, you connect it back to the Old Testament and go, okay, is this about Christ or not? Did Jesus fulfill this or not? Or Jesus would often relate to something in the Old Testament to try to show the people around him that I am the Son of God. Mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't, Jesus didn't say things on accident. So we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2 right now, and we're going to specifically focus on... Uh, 13. Verse 13. Right. Yeah, right. So just just a little preface. If you don't know Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was labeled the wailing prophet. Jeremiah spent his whole time trying to get the people of Israel to change from their evil ways mm -hmm. because he was prophesying that the Babylonian captivity was coming their way and nobody believed him. So Jeremiah was this voice. I can't, if there's one prophet that I wouldn't have wanted to be, it was Jeremiah. I would not have wanted to receive the information that he got from the Lord and have to deliver that to people to where they want to stone you, they beat you up. They, they Yeah, that's true. <laughs> crazy. But I was also thinking Ezekiel had to lay on his side for all that time. That's remember? true. That would that's stink. True. I don't even sleep on the side. Yeah. Anyways. So anyway, side note, for the people that want to be in the prophetic, that's that's kind of things that... Not Ezekiel um, either. Yeah, not Ezekiel either. So so we, we go to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, but Jeremiah is sincerely just relaying to the people what God is telling him because God showed Jeremiah what was coming. Mm -hmm. And so in verse 13, the Lord, uh, actually in verse 12... It says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah, these are strong words that Jeremiah is using. And he says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. This is from God. Basically, God saying, my children have forsaken me. So that's the first evil. Um, but this is how the Lord describes himself to Jeremiah. And this is huge. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Mm -hmm. God is telling... So so here's why this is important. The, the Hebrew people, they would send their children to school to learn Torah. And up until they were like 13 or 15 years old or whatever. Depending on the if it was boys or girls. Yeah, like depending girls on if it was boys or girls. But from, from a certain small age up until teenage... Everybody was going to school to learn Torah. And so when Jesus stands up in a loud voice and he declares himself living water, I guarantee you that almost everybody within earshot of hearing what Jesus was saying would go back to this in Jeremiah chapter 2. Yeah, and they were even... And they would know. Yeah, and there were a few others too that it could mean. I think that that's why Jesus said like the scripture says. Yeah. Because they well, knew their yeah. Torah. Because if it was only that scripture, Jesus would have been like, "It's you know, remember what the prophet Jeremiah yeah. said. So Jesus is saying this. I imagine that there were so many people in the crowd that were like, they, they spend at least 10 years, mm -hmm. at least 10 years in school learning Torah. So 
We, I mean, we don't, we can't fathom that. You know what I mean? We can't really understand what that's like because a lot of us only hear scripture on Sunday mornings yeah. and that's it. And they it were literally a, studying it six days a week. Yeah. It was a lot more than Sunday school. You yeah. Know? It was yeah. six days a week. And then on, on uh, Shabbat, on Sabbath, they would literally read as mm-hmm. a family. Mm-hmm. They would talk about God as a family. It, it's heavily inclusive culture. So when Jesus says, I am the living water, they would have flashed back to this and they were like, wait, God through Jeremiah declared himself a fountain of living water. So this guy, Jesus, this guy, Yeshua, is literally trying to tell us that he's God. Mm-hmm. And, but then here, let's go for a little bit further in Jeremiah because this is the key point that we kind of wanted to get to is God says, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And was that say hewed, hewed. out? Mm-hmm. cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water mm-hmm. let's break that down for a second okay jeremiah is saying that god said you've forsaken me the living water all that you would ever need and you've built yourself cisterns wells right look at the significance between that and jesus meeting the woman at the well yeah and also the people crying out for rain around him when he's saying, I yeah. am the living water. I am what you're looking for. I am right here. And of course it made the Pharisees really mad. But. Yeah. Because they, they were living in a world that had built up broken cisterns at yet again. Jeremiah is old Testament and Jesus is still dealing with the same blatant oh, yeah. sin and rebellion in, in John's gospel that Jeremiah is talking about back mm-hmm. then. And Jesus is literally saying, guys, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. I'm right here with you. All that you need, I'm I'm the fountain of living water. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he told the woman at the well. And I love the imagery there that John uses to describe that moment because Jesus says, as she's at the well, getting her own water, right, out of this, this whole situation, and Jesus is just standing beside the well, and he's like, I have all that you need right here. Mm-hmm. And the convicting part about this whole thing is he's he's talking in a very spiritual sense. And I know that for us as Americans, as modern day Christians, it is so easy for us to move away from the fountain of living waters oh, yeah. and trusting God and, and believing on God and start making things happen ourselves and digging our own cisterns that will never hold enough for what we need. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, that just makes me even think about when Jesus talked about, um, you know, I even take care of the sparrow and I take mm. care, you know, the lilies of the field um, and all these different things. And he's saying we get so caught up on the physical and what's around us that we don't even call to the one that has everything that we need. Uh, We try to dig these cisterns. We try to, you know, solve our own issues. We try, we, we lose sleep at night because we're not focusing on the one that has everything. That's why Jesus is like, do you not see you're all crying out for rain and I'm right here. And God, (laughs) the Lord that they're crying out to is standing there right beside them and they're wailing at God, the God that's so far away, just 
have a little bit of grace and let rain come on us. And he's like, I'm right here among you. I'm right here. Hmm. I have everything you need. And we have to get to a place to where no matter what it looks like around us, he is everything we need. And if you cannot truly say that if all I had was Jesus, that is more than enough, then we're digging cisterns that are broken that hold water on a good day and don't the next and it's just not gonna work anymore Mm. and i'm not just saying that to you guys i'm saying that to me because i just think that that's something we have to fight Mm. all the time because we're Mm. such physical beings we look at the physical we look at our situations everything is so real in our face but the true realness is who created us the true realness is our savior and we are missing him it, it just makes me think about that song with Christine DeMarco and her newest album. Um, don't pass me by. I want to see Jesus when he walks by me. I don't want to overlook him. I know those aren't the exact lyrics, but man. Hmm. Um, hang on, let me get the title of that real quick. Cause... You know, I was, I was sitting there thinking this whole time. They're, they're literally celebrating this festival in... And, and it's a it's an honored tradition. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that they don't take lightly. I mean, they all take seven days, seven full days to come into Jerusalem and celebrate this. And what they were doing had become so ritualistic that they couldn't even recognize Jesus in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I I I'm sitting here thinking about it, and they're going, they're so devout in their rituals. They're they're in. Uh, listen, I am not the one that gets to dictate the position of somebody's heart. Yeah. But what I know is they were so focused on the rituals of it and the show of it and what it looked like from the outside. And, you know, we, we talk about the Pharisees a lot on this podcast, the whitewashed tombs. And even this festival that the Lord told them to remember had become a whitewashed tomb mm-hmm. because if it had really been about God the whole time, mm-hmm. they would have recognized what Jesus was trying to tell them. Yeah. Even what God had told them to do had become so ritualistic that they couldn't even recognize Jesus. And I, I don't know. I, I just think, man, I've seen so much. I've, I've been around so many people that claim and, and you know say that they're followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. But then... It's like if if we're truly following Christ, we would be able to see him in every situation. We would have that living water and we wouldn't allow things to become so ritualistic that we can't even see him. Mm. And it was such a convicting, such a convicting thought. It's like even my quiet time with the Lord can become so ritualistic that I can't even hear him. Oh, yeah. Even my going to church, even my serving in the community can become so ritualistic that it has nothing to do. I would miss Jesus if he walked by. The rituals and the traditions is why everyone, almost everyone, overlooked Jesus. Oh, he can't be the Messiah. He's not of the Davidic line. Oh, he can't be the Messiah. He's from flipping Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. We all know that. Um, They, there was no faith. It was, it was just, this is how it is, and that's how it is, and he's obviously not the Messiah. Yeah, I know he's doing all these things. He's probably a prophet or something, but he's not the Messiah. Hmm. But what's insane is there were some 
Old Testament prophets, Zechariah and I think Haggai or Malachi, they actually talked about how the Festival of the Booths was very significant to the Messianic time. And I think it's interesting because it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. What happened to us with Jesus? Jesus made it to where we were tabernacles. He lived within us. Mm. The living water's flowing out of our bellies because of Jesus, right? And so this, this Festival of the Booths, we become the tabernacles. So Jesus is like, don't you see? You don't have to beg for this. It's here. It's within mm. you. And because of Jesus, that completely switched the script on what Sukkot means to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. just crazy. Wow. Like, <laughs> wow. out of you will flow living waters. Out of me. Out of you. Out of you. Well, and this whole time, we were listening to Brad give us some of this information. We were sitting right beside this perennial waterfall and hearing it just, oh, I know. oh my gosh, it was just, you heard the wildlife and you heard this living water constantly, yeah. this beautiful sound. And also a huge, beautiful rainbow was over top of us yeah. whenever Brad was telling us all of this. And nothing became more real to me than the fact that it's God's promise to us that Jesus is his son and his son was sacrificed and rose again so that we can have the living water flow through us and it is the living water we will never go thirsty again but sometimes we overlook that and we go try to dig a cistern mm. and just pray for rain <laughs> yeah well I, I just think the the journey that we've been on just in this one episode jesus was the fulfillment of the very thing while at En Gedi that David was praying to God about mm -hmm. David or Jesus was the very fulfillment mm -hmm. of what and so I imagine I picture God sitting there and David's like begging for this and God's just like David man after my own heart if you mm -hmm. only knew what I have in store mm -hmm. you know it's so, yeah so we're literally sitting here going oh my gosh like this is this is mind-blowing I, I just, man, living it's, water. It's insane um, in such a good way. But the song I was going to tell you guys, because I really want you to listen to it, is Don't Pass Me By. And it's Christine DeMarco, and uh, Jason Upton sings with her in that. And wow. I'll probably post it on the socials because yeah, made me a blubbering mess when I last wow. listened to it. That should be a song we listen to every morning. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I listen, <laughs> it's been a good day. I'm, I'm wrecked. You said this uh, was going to be your favorite. I think I agree. I think it's my favorite. As we were preparing for this podcast, I was just like, this this is going to wreck. It it wrecked me. It's And I already knew it was coming. It's stupid. Um, <laughs> the Lord always reveals new stuff. They were like, oh yeah. my gosh. I but listen, I hope that you guys were all ministered to through this. Mm -hmm. We don't want to take up more of your time. Thank you for joining us. I hope that... I hope that you receive something. I hope that um, there's something that, that the Holy Spirit was whispering to you. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, maybe you need to open up to the living water. And I, I just want to be in prayer and agreement with you this week that that, that the Lord would, would show you if, if the waters become stagnant, how to make that living water flow mm -hmm. from you all over again. But we love all you guys. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll see you here next week for more of the word.
Let's go. It's going to be good. All righty. We'll, we'll see, see you. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.